This is the Everyman Podcast, and this is this episode is coming from an apartment in Harlem. Daniel Stillman, my guest today, is uh, I'm in his apartment, and I am coming off of the Melt Retreat at Racebrook Lodge. Literally yesterday, we finished. I feel like a lost little puppy, and that is how <laughs> I'm gonna. You can talk on this intro too. Okay. Here's our intro. Um, you look at peace. I do feel at peace. I also feel tired, and I feel very. Um, discombobulated i keep forgetting things i can't kind of like keep track of my important things like computer charges yeah all those kind of things uh but to make this an official intro so yes we just finished up our melt retreat we are our next event if anybody is inclined to uh take a take a look at it would be our open source in ohio this is in logan ohio at a beautiful retreat center this is in about 10 days if we have tickets left it's just a few and then after that, our next open source is at Racebrook Lodge on the East Coast. Um, that is April 5th through 7th. And that one has at least 10 or 15 spots left. So there's still some room in that. The only other thing I'll highlight is our wilderness expeditions this summer. Um, man, which you or someone in your family should come to, Daniel. Uh, my dad definitely can't. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't make it up the hill at, uh, at Racebrook. So. <laughs> um no, he couldn't. He was with my dad. Yeah. Uh, cheers, dads. Cheers, dads. And all right. So the last part of the intro before we get to the actual conversation is to well, let's just let's just talk about you and um, your let's do just do the briefest CV that you have. And then we'll actually find out who you are. More yeah. So. Um, I my name is Daniel. I'm the brother of <laughs> your good friends, Matt, which we'll talk about. Who's been on the show. So Who's been on the show. He lives around. downstairs, <laughs> not far. <laughs> uh, uh, and I, uh, I have a background in, in design. Yeah. And I used to design products and services and technology. And I started designing workshops. And now I call what I do conversation design. Yeah. I help, I help people have better conversations and make better things together amazing and you're in new york yeah. and um yeah at the end we'll take some time and and we can send people to your because i've been on your podcast i want to highlight yeah. that what's the name of your podcast the conversation factory conversation Factory. So we just like i just love the analogy of just like stamping out conversations <laughs> well it is fun to talk with you so it's obvious that you have chosen uh, an impressive appropriate path the danger is like i did an event and somebody introduced me as a conversation expert and i'm like hold on a second there like you don't I'm claim expert a, i'm yet. a journeyman like everyone else like yeah. i think everyone is we all have conversations we all know how to do it i'm not an expert i'm just a, a craftsman maybe like i just enjoy the details yeah well let's have a conversation and right now we're gonna cue the music Well, so we've had plenty. I went plenty. We had plenty of conversations. We've had several conversations. We've had, yeah, yeah. So um, it's been about a year since you since you'd had your first Everyman experience, and we had this moment where yeah. it was like, "Holy shit, you're Daniel Stillman! Like you're Matthew, your brother. Yes, I've known for a long time. He's a very special man to me. And you came to Everyman totally on your own accord, and it was just this really cool introduction." That's what I think is sort of fascinating is that like I knew Dan McCombie who's going to be, I guess, co-leading the, the Ohio you know, one. The Ohio one. Yep. And I just met Dan through Dan McCombie through community stuff. Um, 
and he was on your podcast, like one of the early episodes. Yep. And I, I, it sort of came up on Facebook. I looked at it and I was like, this is really interesting. I, I had had my own like relationship with men's work and maybe some resistance to joining anything. Totally. And, but I, but, but because I'm a facilitator, the idea of m- the Melt Weekend as men's emotional leadership training, I was able to convince myself that it had like relevance and connection and it would be interesting and enlightening and it was like a lot in all of those all of those ways yeah it was it was mind-blowing and what was funny is that telling my mom and my dad about it my dad was like my mother was like oh your dad wants to go and i was like really after just 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 from my description of yeah (laughs) you know all the things that i told him and he went he went on his own and you know, my mother was in tears when he came back because she was like, I think you went to the Melt Weekend for your dad, not for you. And I mean, I, we've, I've told you this story we before, but commonality there. But I, <laughs> you're like, you're not doing this work for you. You're doing this work for other people type of thing. And I think, you know, my dad, who may listen to this, like he's, <laughs> he's still got his machinery. Yeah. Right. You don't stop yeah. the machine after 70 years. But I'm able to say like, OK, look. This is the conversation I want to have with you. I can invite him to the conversation that I want to have with him. Right. And he's willing to, you know, put it down for a minute. And so that's a, I think that's really powerful because he knows where I want to, where I want to go. No. And yeah, it's really cool to, I mean, part of the best, the best part of this whole thing, this whole everything man thing is the web of interconnected people and experiences that, that yeah. moves because so you were there with your father while I was there with my father. Yeah. It was it was one of the biggest moments in my life. And so when you say that you can have the conversation you want with your dad, I get it because again, I think I could have just mirrored what you just said about my life hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well so I'm oh sorry, go ahead. Well, I was gonna ask, well what conversation do you want to have with him? <laughs> well, I mean Or are you having? Or yes. Yeah. Open, connected. Yeah. Um Sometimes, and this can happen with Matthew too. Um, you know, when the three of us get together, it's like a show, right? Right. And the show is like the needling show. It's the joking show. It's the like recycling um, old narrative show, <laughs> right? And it can be a f- and it can be fun, but it's also can be exhausting. Well, the three of you are such wildly brilliant and unique and creative. I mean, you guys have something that's not normal. I mean, you're just not normal people. I'll no. just say that. I know. And this is like like the book that I'm working on. I'm like, why is this book so strange? It's like, because I'm strange. I it, can't not write a strange book. Fuck my life. <laughs> but it's so interesting because I like, I think that's why I was, it is why I was initially drawn to Matt. Yeah. It was just because this is the, I literally would say, honestly, he's the weirdest person I know. He's the strangest human that I know. He's the strangest person I know. And, yeah. and, and we are the most, like, he is more widely read than I am, but like, I remember I'd gone away for a couple of months and uh, a friend of one of my housemates, I, I came home and she was like, they were in the, here in this living room having a, a drink. And she's like, Daniel, I have been waiting to talk to you. I've been looking at all these books and trying to find the thread that ties them together. And clearly the only thing is you. So right. there's a metaphysical Bible dictionary in here. That was my dad's. Like yeah. it's one of the most amazing weird books in the world. Like, Finite Infinite Games, like one of these books that is like, 
if you've read it, it defines your perspective on the world. Oh like, man, your book list would be one. I would love to get a book list from you sometime. There's like only there's only two books. What's that? There's two books that everyone needs to read if they want to. Yeah. Finite and Infinite Games. Finite and Infinite Games. Yeah, it's a book by James Carse. It's okay. about how there's two types of games, games that start and end with a and end with a winner and a loser, and games that you change the rules to keep playing. Hmm. And it's the the like marriage. Yeah, <laughs> like marriage. Like marriage, like friendship, life. Hmm. And every time anything in my life happens that's hard or weird or challenging, infinite, finite, infinite games is always like the, like, that's the, wow. that's the card I take out of my head. Wow. And the second? Uh, the book on the taboo against knowing who you are by Alan Watts. Whoa. I want to read that one. Yeah. I've, it's like, it's literally like, it's a book about how everything in the world is pushing back against you, huh. breaking the system, like the matrix basically, right? Yeah. Don't 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 leave the matrix. Hmm. You know, uh, the other thing that's just recently been engaged in me more than for a while. It's not today. I'm, I feel like I have scrambled eggs in my head, but mm. I, I don't. Delicious. Um, my young life was all about books completely. Like my childhood first was only books. Yes. Sprinkle in a little uh, martial arts, but mostly books. <laughs> and my breaking the books <laughs> with martial arts. And my education was all about books. I, I studied literature and philosophy and uh, with a dose of sort of international travel and anthropology, that kind yeah. of stuff. But um, I went on a, a ride in my 20s, I'd say my early 30s too, where books became less and less and less uh, frontal for me. Yeah. And reading and it's really interesting. I feel like I set my, I, I got done with college and I was intending to go be a professor of philosophy. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what I intended. That's like an Indigo Girls song. Like <laughs> <laughs> How is that an Indigo Girls There's a sign, song. I went to see the doctor of philosophy. Oh. I went to see the doctor of philosophy. Oh my God, what a, that's just so rocking me back to college in one of my, like, wow. Sorry, yeah, that I, <laughs> I apologize for hijacking you there. <laughs> That's what I thought. Well, so why do you think, because I think it's interesting. Like, I think Matthew's addicted to books. Yep. Um, and my dad doesn't read them, but loves them. Really? And so, like, there's this interesting, and I think in a way, like, right now, because I'm writing, I feel like I want to think my own thoughts. Yep. And I want to talk to people. Yep. But I can't, like, it's like uh, when they say when you're working on a play, you don't watch Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Mm -hmm. You just have to read Shakespeare and decide what you want to do. Totally. So, like, why do you feel like books receded? Well, I think that uh, I know my final project in college was uh, a dissertation on the irrelevancy of the university itself. It was basically like a, a death blow <laughs> to study. <laughs> but here's why. This is what it felt like. I felt like I got to a place where there was no actual deep meaning in anything. I was reading all of the big things all of the things where yeah. I thought answers could lie. And I found very few. And, yeah. I, and I became very disaffected. I, had, I was very dark, man. I, I was in a very dark place. And I think that's like the only rational response to the fundamental meaninglessness of, of the world. Right? <laughs> well, yes, but, but then I think I, I began traveling. I began having adventurous, meaningful, deep experiences. and Found, uh, got out of the 
it, it was just I my world was limited to that. Yeah. And it felt like an endless masturbation of the mind. It yeah. just felt like not helpful. And so I started traveling hard. I started uh, living in the wilderness basically for a long time. And, you know, there's a co- that uh, books t- took on a different meaning. Yeah. Like I would have the Tao Te Ching in my backpack and I would sit in the desert for 16 hours straight and read like two lines and just fucking sit there. <laughs> yeah, like a book that's a touchstone. Yeah. Rather than just trying to like feed. Yeah. Feed, feed, feed. And I, w- I like read the book Siddhartha probably 25 times in a row. Like I had a very different relationship. I wasn't, I think I wasn't reading to learn. I was reading to feel probably. What are the like, what are the, two, are there two books or three books that you think like, look, every, every, every man yeah, <laughs> should read Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Yeah, like Does, who gave it to you? Oh, man. I know who. I have the copy that my junior high school teacher gave to me because she saw me and was like, "Here, amazing." So I did not get it until um, until I was working. I think it was passed to me by one of my co-leaders in the wilderness work that I did. I don't. I didn't read it as an adolescent. I didn't read it in college. Uh, actually, maybe I read it in. Maybe I got introduced to it through sort of an existential lit class, but I don't think I read it until I was like 22 or 23. And I ended up reading that aloud. I can picture many different settings where I read that aloud to groups of young men yeah. uh, around a fire. And I did it many times. And that's just, that's kind of it mm-hmm. for me. Just paying it forward. You're like, read Siddhartha, that's it. It's a well lot. There's a lot in there. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot in there. Specifically for young men, right? Yeah. Oh, and for young men, or I'd say for, you know, young men who are older. <laughs> older young men and it, it was simply about um, recognizing their stages of life recognizing that there are uh, there's a fullness there's a full spectrum of life to be had yeah and uh, the idea of getting to the end of a chapter of life and recognizing that another one can come yeah yeah if I had to pick a second book let me let me think on it just as I picture it um, yeah, I'm just gonna say it, and it's, it's uh, a bit a bit on the mystical side, but I'm gonna say the Tao Te Ching is probably um, what I've gone back to more and more than yeah. anything else, for whatever reason. There's something about the Taoism, like, well, so this is actually this is something worth talking about. Just like <coughs> this is very far afield, but like as a young man, being inculcated with Eastern philosophy. I think there was a tension. Talk about that because that's really fat. That's not normal. So it's not normal. No, no. Yeah, my, my studying Sanskrit. Yeah, yeah, my parents were into yeah. Eastern philosophy tremendously, like hard. Yeah. There's a Sanskrit English dictionary in every Stillman member's family household. Yep. Um, just in case. <laughs> and the Dahatu Pata that goes with it, because there's actually an, an, a way to like look up the roots of all the words. Wow. This is like the kind of like family. Like I don't know if your family was like a dictionary family. It's like if you didn't know something, you're like, yeah, look it up in the dictionary. Right. Like. We loved etymology and and word derivations and roots, and it's about like the source, the source of knowledge. Hmm. And in a way, I think that's why my parents liked Eastern philosophy. There's this idea of like it being more ancient, more primal, more fundamental, purer, yeah. maybe. Um, like obviously, uh, the practice of all the religions and all their cultures are the way they are. You know, there's there are racist, homophobic uh, Hindus and Taoists. You yeah. know. Yeah. But like the texts themselves just have this m- ancient, you know, old, old feeling. I'm just always checking the time to make sure that it's actually working. <laughs> oh, <I've yeah. laughs> per- periodically, I just like to make sure that the recording is not being fucked up by me because <laughs> I've totally done that before. 
Um, anyway, uh, here's the way that that philo- that 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 non-dualistic Eastern philosophy can fuck you up as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I have this very very distinct memory. Matthew will recount this for you of like yelling at him to get out of my room. And Matthew's like, it's not your room, it's God's. <laughs> and I was like, how do you trump that? Like, what do you do? Like, because I was like, he's right. I'm, and I was probably like eight. And I'm like, he's right. I'm connected to the universe. Space is indifferentiated. God's, my soul and the universal soul are non different, and space is undifferentiated and infinite. And I have no ownership over anything. I have no self, <laughs> nor should I have self. And it's wrong of me to even suggest that I should own or have anything of my own. So that's actually really bad for boundary having. <laughs> that is not a normal eight-year-old conversation. That's amazing. Yeah. When I was eight, I was maybe dealing with similar feelings by laying awake in my bed all night long frozen in terror about infinity that's what i did as a kid yeah i spent my nights frozen in fear about (laughs) infinity (laughs) well we were we were rushing to embrace it (laughs) right but i think the minus is that like it's taken me 40 years to learn how to form a boundary Mm. but uh, but i'll say this you know my, my parents really loved every you know between shakespeare but um buddhism the Upanishads, reading the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, you know, I, uh, I I remember sneaking into a, a mosque in 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 Morocco, and they when they found out that I was, they were like, oh no no no, like no, this is this is for Muslims only. I'm like, it's okay, I'm a Muslim. <laughs> I was like, I looked him straight in the eyes, and I was like, there's there's only one God, and Muhammad is his prophet. <laughs> I'm okay with saying like, and I said it to him with like, I transmitted. That convincingly, he was like, "Oh, okay, come on in. That's fine." Wow, that's an awesome story. And I'm story. okay with that. Like, I don't, I don't think any, you know, at the core, any of the religions I got exposed to, yeah, uh, most of them, yeah, um, they're all okay. But I think that then the, the, you know, the whole point of of our upbringing was like practicing meditation, being in the present moment, yep, being still, but to the 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 abnegation of yourself. Not How many jokes have been made about still, man? Yeah, oh God, it's the worst. <laughs> and this is, and this is honestly, and my dad, who will listen to this, he will agree to this. Yeah. The consolations of philosophy, right? You can use philosophy to stop feeling. Hundred percent. You can use philosophy to yeah. say, like, oh, my feelings are um, temporary and fluctuating, yeah. and therefore um, I should not pay attention to them. Yeah. And that's a that's a a heavy burden. I found it very seductive. Yeah. I found philosophy seductive in the sense of, yeah, that when something would reach to me, it would, I would get sucked into it, and I would stay there. I would go into a uh, like an existentialist place, or I would go into yeah. like a, uh, you know, I kind of had maybe three like the American pragmatist space for a while, and I, I think it was valuable. It was super valuable, but. But that's very true. I, it got to a point where I needed to have my own experience yeah. and not try to filter it through somebody else's thing, which yeah. is what I've been almost violently 
not violently, <laughs> adamantly. <laughs> right. um, that's that's maybe the wrong use to use. Yeah, adamantly sticking to that in terms of every man, in terms of of this, is that this is about everybody having their experience. Yeah, it's organic, and and this is the ironic thing about the philosophy school that we were brought up in is that it was very Socratic, and it was about experience, and then at some point it becomes about receiving wisdom and being mm. and and being told how to think, and I think that happens with. Any, mm. any structured anything, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because you know taking it back to the group that that David and I are co-leading, like we have been very assiduous about making it a super democratic, you know, co-led process where every man in the group feels ownership over what we're doing and why, and it's and now we're in this tipping point where David has seen what happens on a melt weekend he yep. understands the value of the third round yep. and why we need to shorten the second round and i just i haven't wanted to push i yep. I, I felt like we were getting there organically and we're the members of the group would bring up the like hey we should we should be more thoughtful about time and i'm like okay this is good like they're all wanting it and so there's this common there's this conversation between the group leading itself and then us saying like here's this thing that we should you know. Such a great topic. And so just for, for folks who listen that, that are not in a group and are less familiar with what an oh, everyman yeah. group looks like. So this is perfect setup, though. So just the, r- the round structure uh, or basically the structure of a meeting, you, you get there, you do something to slow down, sit, meditate, whatever. You do you actually down. meditate before you do your first round check-in? We do. That's so interesting. Yeah, Cause you cause guys I, do it after? We do because otherwise it feels like the first and second round check-in are too close to each other. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. That might be better. I think I've done it both ways. I know I have, but um, yeah, so we slow down or check in. But so, and then there's four rounds. First round is the most brief statement of where you are. It's that, you know, I'm here checking in. I feel sad and pissed off and I'm, this isn't really, let me do, let me do it actually here. Uh, I'm checking in. I feel tired and i feel happy and that's real so and i'm here and i'm in so what blew me away about seeing guys check in at the melt weekend when i went to it is like the the clarity of checking in with something very distinct and physical where people are like my right shoulder hurts or the yeah. sun is on the left side of my face yep and really just starting with that like i am this is where i am like the facts like here's, yes. here's the fact of what is going on and here's something that's actually like, here's what I'm feeling. Physiological. Yeah, very physiological. And I think that's something that's really, really powerful about the everyman approach yeah. is like being very gentle on the somatic piece, but being very firm on it at the same time. Totally. Yeah. And so what that that's simply just that first round is a statement. It's just a statement that says, hey, I'm here and here's what I'm bringing. Right. Yeah. And that and that is important that 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 establishes safety, that establishes that like affirms. The I also feel like it scrapes off a layer. Yeah. Like you're yeah, like, totally. all right. Well, and it gets you into the zone. It starts to create that group flow state. Yeah. It starts to create that sort of inter, that kind of beautiful thing that happens. Well, so the, yeah, the, there's a weaving. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm like, I don't want to go to like conversation theory stuff, but like Do the it, thread, the, way. the thread of the conversation, like there's, there's something about, I think this starts to happen more in the second round where people yeah. say like they can bounce off of like that really made me realize that I want to talk about blank. Mm -hmm. And so that's picking up the thread that somebody's putting down and it's just, it gets woven. Totally. If people are focusing on it. Totally. Yeah. 
it, it begins. And the second round, defined quickly, is a you know five to ten ish minute chunk where everybody gets that time, and it is their opportunity to dive deeper into what is actually true. What is you know what's been in the way? What's really great? It's a time for celebrating or keying in on and uh, and expanding into what's been up with yeah. i guess you could just say what's up what's up with you yeah that's one way we've been it. trying to like david and i were talking last night about like what the fr- and this is just me from my my innovation work, bring it is it's like yeah. what's the framing question yep like what because i feel like we've had this long pause between the meditation like the meditation is really good mm-hmm. there's just like quiet and then it's sort of like okay i'll go versus like all right what's on your mind or what's happening or yeah what's lighting you up yep. like there's a million questions you can ask but right. it sounds and like i don't know do you ask a question or people just know well what to so do? it's all so dependent there's been i've been in groups for it where the leader every single week chooses a, a prompt chooses yeah. a topic it's like this time we're going to talk about like you know relationships with our dads or we're going to talk about you know our fears or the i don't know our the things we're ashamed of right so we right. can go that way or you can go the emergent route, which is just really what is most true for you right now? Yeah. What are you feeling right now? And yeah. that's what I would say if there was one perennial question is like, what is the deepest place you're in right now? And then we open that door and we allow it to go, which yeah. which is, you know, different and scary. And, and I think there's there's no right or wrong here, but that. And you and so just to, again, for the viewers who don't know this, but listeners is <laughs> we're not actually recording we're not. Video for this. <laughs> Good. is uh the end of that second round ends most often i don't know if you guys do work statements we but do. you end with a work statement which is a distillation it's a statement that basically discla- declares what you can step into what you can own what you can where you can yeah. so a good work statement uh for me right now would be i let go of the steering wheel yeah. In order for someone else to figure out, right? So, but, but that would be something that is hard for me. It pushes me toward yeah. the what myself and the group and I sort of identified as the as a good direction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a good question. Yeah. It, it's it's a question. It, it's it's not a question, but it's like in a way, it's a. I see it as like. If it's framed well, it has it has propulsive, mm-hmm. propulsive power. Potentially huge. It, I'll be real fast and I want to come back to the second round. I want to really get into it. But then the third round is, is what we call work round, right? So this could be a half an hour all focused on one man. It could be some deep, deep, deep dive of a process that we have, but it could also just be something more gentle. It could be, it's creative space. Yeah. It's creative space to go further and to really offer somebody something deeper or more powerful. So with that frame, uh, what you, what we kind of brought up earlier was this idea of, our first principle is that we slow down. That's like the first thing, and we try to honor that continuously. And it's yeah. the hardest thing to do, I think. Yeah. And yet, you brought up we're asking guys to slow down and time it in five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and say, here's your time. And some people, c- so, and what's interesting to me about this is that, like, in my facilitation work, I used to think that my only material was time. Hmm. That time was the primary material I was using, and that, like, what I did was speed things up. And so for years, I think my obsession was like, really mo- moving it forward, moving it forward. Well, cause there's Got a it. lot of stuff you want to do. Like yeah. you're talking about like 
all the phases of an innovation process. And some people want to try to do it in a day or five days. And the most popular thing in design right now is the design sprint where it's like, okay, we're going to spend five days mm-hmm. and we're going to, we're going to deliver on something. And so speed is really valuable to mm-hmm. people because we live in this fast, fast world. Yeah. But I, ironically, I feel like there's this, this need to, there's, <laughs> there's slowing down in the speed. Like yeah. where you're actually, what you're doing is giving people, I give people five minutes to write down three things that matter to them about this project. And so it is fast and it and in only giving people that three minutes and, and it means they go one, two, three. It's supposed mm. to like tap into your, you know, to lower your inhibitions and 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 sort of suppress your your subconscious or, or let or let out the subconscious. Got it. If we just said like, okay, like for forty five minutes, write down three things, like it would just be completely totally. that's like that's taking the speed and just like totally slowing it way too far down. Yeah. And so I think it's just like for a while we were like, okay, so seven minutes and then we'll warn you at ten and then at twelve we'll cap you out and it's too many time markers. Yep. It's too fussy. And so David's like, let's redesign the conversation. Mm-hmm. Let's say you know tonight we're going to propose like five minutes and you know at five minutes you get a two-minute warning and then at seven minutes if you don't have a work statement you don't have a work statement totally and that's it good you know? for you and yeah well i mean we'll see how it goes it'll be an experiment to see if the group who now all has a sense of shared power and we've established a group decision making pattern in the in the in the in the business round do you want me to tell you how it will go or do you want to experiment it all the way out yourself <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't violate the group decision making process at this point. So totally. So David can per, David can propose the motion. Yeah. I can second it. Yeah. Everyone's going to say what they feel about it, and then we'll then we'll we'll take a vote. Yeah. And I th- and I think people will be like, okay, yeah, we're willing to try this if we frame it as an experiment. I so think everyone will uh, be willing yeah, to try I, it. And I won't. I won't. I won't burst your bubble. I'll, I'll let you run. I'll let <laughs> okay. you run with that. No, no, burst loop. away, man. This well, I no, feel like I'm fantastic. getting a laser. It's going to be good. That's all I got to say. It's really going to be good. And this is something we got into this weekend. This lot at Melt a lot, and specifically at the end was. And there is a there's a natural progression in groups where you kind of get together, you get your shit together, together, yeah. <laughs> together, together, and then most often that second round becomes the whole meeting, and yeah. that's great. And I think it's actually very appropriate. Guys getting into this need time. They do. They need they need to be seen. They need to yeah. be heard. They need they need a place to really have that experience. And then as a group matures, as the skill level grows, as things get higher, and the the p- potential for having another like, well, we can go way deeper than this if we saved, you know, forty five minutes at the end. Yeah. That coincides along with the ability to cut through all because because listen, yeah. we could like we could sit here and talk for you could like any man in a group for the most part could probably fill up two and a half hours with. What <laughs> <he's gonna laughs> That's fair. Through. Well, so I'll say this, like I've definitely seen how and, and David and I were talking about this, like sometimes it looks like a guy needs more time. And sometimes that's true. Something can happen if you whatever seed that that time where someone will ask the right question where they will be willing to go deeper and they'll have a breakthrough. But I do like the idea of, of inviting that the third round is invitational. Yeah. That you opt in. And so, so this goes back to what I said about my dad. 
one of the things I've learned about conversations is that invitation, like what initiates a conversation um, can be a shove. Yeah. Right. Like if we're if we're on a mosh pit and I mosh into you, that's the beginning of a very physical conversation. I was a really big mosher when I was oh, man, super fun. <laughs> No, it was a thing. And it feels good to shove somebody and they shove you. Yeah, of course. You did? Yeah. What kind of band? Well, I mean, ska. Okay. Yeah. See, I was like a dark metal guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's where they put the microphone like in their mouths. And you're just like, I guess I wasn't as hard as you. It's okay. (laughs) I still am. I'm still a man. Real. (laughs) In all of my ways. Um, Even though I can't grow a beard. Um. So one of the things that I learned, I interviewed this guy on my podcast. His, his name is Paul Pongaro. He was a PhD in cybernetics mm. and has this completely different view of, of conversation where if I am on a, a dance, if I'm at a wedding and I put out my hand to someone, that's a conversation, but it's a physical conversation. Cool. Right, where I hold out my hand and that's an invitation to dance and then the person can either be like, no, right. by rotating their body or they put their hand out and then they're responding to my invitation and they're aligned with my goals. Got it. And so what I've what I've learned is that the best interactions, the best conversations are invitational, mm. right? And so I th- I think, and and mm. clearly you, and in a way like I, I, my father now understands. I can also I can invite him in a way that he can hear because yeah. I understand his mental models, but he also understands my goals. Yeah. And so I'm able to invite him more clearly. And I think the key, this is just for me, and you have a lot more f- experience on these things than I do, but I still feel like the third round, the idea about it that I like is that a guy opts into it. You know, the, so the actual method that classically is used is is you say, all right, who wants the extra time? And on the count of three, put one to five fingers up. Oh, you mean like and how much you need it? Yeah, or how much you want. Yeah, exactly. Like you make the choice. Yeah. And whoever comes out on top. Rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. So that no that that's I love that word man. That that word is like lighting me up invite invitational and I feel like yeah. the you know it's interesting I'll bring this in here too. So I recently did a kind of a psychographic um test. It's it's the Harrison and it's okay. Brilliant and I would encourage anybody to look at it. It's re- what's one of the most incredible assessment tools that I've ever done for myself. And one of, so what it does is you you list your preferences, 12 things, and they just throw it at you in like 10 different ways, 10 different times. And you just list eight things in terms of what you prefer. And then what it reads you out is this beautiful, like very, very, very helpful um, information on an XY graph where they take two of your qualities. So, and run one, one to 10 up one side and run the other one to 10 up the right or the horizontal side. And uh, I hope everybody's thoroughly confused. <laughs> Do you want to draw it? <laughs> <laughs> Will that help? <laughs> That's why I have the Sharpie and the, pen, the paper there. But he- here's, the, here's where I'm getting to with it. And it, it has to do with speed, too. And one of them, for example, is it measures the sort of the coalescing point of being frank mm-hmm. and, like, no bullshit with your words. Yes. And diplomatic. Right. Understanding that, like, all frank and no diplomacy – puts you in one place in life yes. all diplomacy no ability to be frank puts you in another place so yeah. it's this idea of you know strengths and weaknesses but how they actually pair together for real practical positive like life skill life yeah. attention so for me i'm way more frank than diplomatic 
right? So I can lean, I can be, I can totally be an asshole way faster yes. than I can be like somebody like messing around and like, what are we going to do? Or you want this? Or yeah. You know, so, so I know that about myself. And so, but I think that does, it's something I've been working with. And, but the question of we, what we intend to do in these groups is go deeper. Yes. More primal, more visceral. Primal's maybe not the best word. More real, more unencumbered. Uh, what would you say? What unfiltered. Unfiltered. Right. I mean, it's a yeah. safe space where anybody can talk about anything. Right. And it's interesting. <laughs> I feel like, you know, David and I know each other from outside in the world, but the rest of the guys don't really. And he's also like, I was really good friends with his his uh his 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 baby mom hmm. not actually married uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm like old old friends with her she was like one of my besties like right. somebody who's literally just down to do go swing dancing go to a party whatever um so they're perfect together are you from the 1800s <laughs> <laughs> i mean we established that i'm really really weird yeah. So like I mean yes. <laughs> was down to the swing dancing. Yeah, <laughs> she's a really good swing dancer. Somebody was pointing out that the nineteen, the the twenty, the twenties are coming up, and we should just like bring all of the good stuff oh, from the twenties back, like spats and racism. <laughs> oh, that's back already. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, I think <laughs> let's let's pull back the thread. I I think the is there a design. Does the Harris thing help you figure out how to become more diplomatic? Is there an approach that you, because this is where I think about how do you design the conversation? Right. If your tendency, <clears throat> or what I would call your operating system, is right. to be frank, yep. that's a, and you're and you're succeeding in life, then there's nothing you should have to change about your approach. But if you start to realize that it's a lever that you can tweak, yes, then that gives you more um, flexibility as a person. Yeah. And in cybernetics, there's this idea of variety. That, like the more states you have, the more flexible you are in a mm -hmm. situation, the more you can survive. Totally. It's like Jason Bourne. <laughs> you throw him down anywhere. You throw Dan Doty into the middle of the woods and he's fine. Yep. And it's like, what if I throw you into a diplomatic situation? Like, where do you have diplomatic resources? I want to run away. <laughs> yeah. But so, and here's just another very quick example. And this has been huge for me is that I... Uh, one of the other axes or one of the other graphs is um, <coughs> risk taking up one side mm -hmm. and analyzing pitfalls on the other side. And again, there's just as an example of another place I've been outbalanced. Um, I'm just writing these both down. Yeah. So, so and I've been super unbalanced there. So, for example, with the creation of this organization and this podcast and every man, I, I have been riding waves of optimism and risk-taking. Risk, and what's the other axis? Analyzing pitfalls. Mm. And so now my wife and I have come up with our own system for any big, because my wife and I are similar on this, or I overpower maybe, but um, now when we have big decisions to make, which we're making some very big decisions right now, we have our own process. I'm like, dude, you need to take three hours and analyze every pitfall that could come up in this decision. Yes. Because that's just not what I've learned. So anyway. No, no, this is actually yeah. really important. Yeah. Because one of the things I do, one of the most powerful matrix that I use in my work is say, okay, let's talk, let's take all the things we could do and let's organize them by uh, like how impactful they could be. Oh, cool. And, in, and put them in, 
and I wish there was a better word that didn't use force because force is like not invitational, but forced rank order. Like put Got them it. in put them in relative ranking of what do I think of all the things that I can do? What's the most impactful? Yeah. What's the least impactful? I've got 10 things on my to-do list. Right. It's great for personal right, to-do right, list. Right, right, and then yeah. you say, okay, now let's talk about how hard they are or how difficult they are. Got it. Now I'm going to move them up and down. And mm. what I found is that a lot of people in the consulting world are familiar with an importance difficulty or a bang versus buck or whatever matrix, but they, they just place it wherever they want to. Mm. And what they're doing is they're actually measuring two things in their heads and they're two separate conversations and there's a real power with saying okay let's talk about um all the pitfalls and let's talk about um let's organize them by uh r realistic totally or or um uh badness like <laughs> really bad pitfall yeah. not a big pitfall yeah. and then say like what's the odds that it's going to happen Dude, and you're like, maybe exactly the biggest the pitfall I, I'm thinking about actually yeah. has the lowest risk. Yeah. Or maybe it has the higher risk, whatever. Yeah. But then you're having, people are having too many conversations at once instead of like teasing them apart and saying, let's talk about risk. Yep, and then yeah. let's, talk, let's talk about the risks. And then let's talk about likelihoods of risks. Yeah, you and can that's slowing the conversation down. Perfect. Perfect. Slowing it down. Right. Yeah. You can find my upcoming free ebook, How <laughs> Optimism Nearly Ruined My Life. <laughs> Are you, you really writing that? <laughs> but I could. I could. Um, but it's so perfect because slowing the conversation down, I think, is. So when it comes to round two, whether it comes to round three, or whether it comes to, to talking with your dad. Yeah. I feel like that is the that is the lever that makes any of that possible. Yeah. Right. Really. When you talk, I, I love that prioritization thing because you could think about that. Say, say you're in round two of a group and you don't know what's going, you don't know what to say. You're like, yeah. <coughs> I want to use this time. I want to use this to deepen my experience. I want to learn. I want to grow. And, and you, could, yeah. you could almost do that immediate prioritization. It's like what, you know, there's yeah. a million things that are true for me right now. Yeah. A million. And guys often, when they're in their head about it, they're like, oh, I'm trying to find the right thing to say. But I think when you slow down and... And you really, again, that, that teasing, there's that, I like that. I, I like the images you use, the thread, the teasing. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it is, it's, it's, it can be very delicate, but not weak, right? Yeah. Like very important, very strong. Um, I think it's, all, I always ask myself, like, what do I think this group of men can actually what can I do here that I can't do anywhere else? Because mm -hmm. I, I see my therapist the next day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So it's like, yeah you know, maybe this is just something to put there versus like something I can just talk about with myself or talk with Janet or whatever. So how are the conversations different without divulging too much between your men's group and your therapist? That's a great question. I mean, me. sometimes I unpack stuff that happened in the men's group right. in therapy, which is nice. Um, I've seen my therapist on and off for a, a while. And so he gets, he has a much bigger window of time to, yeah. to talk to me about. And I can also get into feelings or get into coaching mm. you know we can just talk about whatever he's um one of the things in conversation design that i've become interested in is uh the 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 conversation you have with yourself mm -hmm. and cool. how you cultivate it and 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 what happens in it and he is really good at slowing down the conversation with me and and because he has skills around inner voice work which is like a whole like 
school of really i've not heard of that yeah. inner voice work inner really. voice work where it's like uh, if the voices in your head are in conflict and you see this when you talk to a guy where they're like oh man like i really like this girl that i'm seeing but but and i then don't they, know but i don't like, know yeah, am i really ready to be yes. with somebody fucking the most frustrating thing in the world to me because right, they're just like, you know what it is it's just like rocks in a gearbox yeah. just like let's just pick one pick one no so now when anybody tells me that they're like uh, like you know, I, you know i don't really know about this guy i'm like break up with them and they're like no but i'm like all right well then don't break up with them <laughs> i get it and i have compassion for i do definitely have a lot of compassion and that's very normal you know and i'm not i'm not free of that either but it is fucking annoying but you've also made a powerful decision to be with an amazing person and that People don't realize what a time saver that is in your life. That's a good note. <laughs> That's a I've good been telling note. the guys in my group. There's one of my guys who's like, "Wait, how is how is being with one woman a time saver?" I'm like, "Dating is a job. Loving somebody is a job, but it's like a job I love." Yeah, it. I think pays I dividends. remember sending a text. It's like, and it was cool. So you know, my late twenties, I was on a, a a TV crew, and most of the guys were older. All the guys were older, and got married and started having kids and. I first came into contact with that idea then is that when you lock in with somebody, it frees up all this time. And I remember the feeling and it felt literally like 50% of my bandwidth yeah. was returned back to me. Yeah. And then I had kids. Okay. So I'm going to roll back because th- I have homework for therapy that I've been putting off and it's actually, it's something that's in my book too, where it's like, who are the, who are the voices in your head? Mm. And what he will do is say, like, what is that voice? We'll point to a room, a place in the room. He's like, what do you want to say to your inner taskmaster? Nice. And then I'm like, and just like Marie Kondo, you, you want to, like, thank you. I want to thank my inner taskmaster yeah. for keeping me alive all this time. But I want to also ask it to, like, give me a fucking break, yeah, shut dude. The fuck up, shut the fuck up. Like, I've got this. Yeah. And so what we're having is instead of, like, this. Um, inner speech is like 4,000 times faster than outer speech. So you talk about slowing the conversation down. That's amazing to hear. For, like, and, and, it's, and it's also really hard to study. But there are people who've studied it. Um, they try to give people tasks and they study sub-vocalization. So mm. you can like, you know, okay, carry the two, carry the four. And, 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 <laughs> and you're like, wait, what is that supposed to be? Like, what is a banana? Right? And, like, and so they've, they've shown studies that, that like if you're, if you are talking to yourself, you're better at some tasks. Like if you're looking for a, a banana and they're showing you cards, you know, like banana, 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 banana. Okay, cool. Banana. Right. But like inner speech doesn't help if you're trying to like, you don't know what you're looking for. Mm. And so the inner voice work of like, who are the people in my neighborhood? Mm. Who is in my head? How did we get there? Dude, that's fun. Why did I invite them in? Like, right. can I ask them to leave the party? Like, yeah. what would I like to say to them? What are they trying to say to me? Am I willing to listen? Like, all that shit. And I joke that there's, like, a fully formed simulation of my father in my head that I can ignore whenever I want to. It's great. Like, I don't, <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't know, you know, my, my mother's doing comments on, on the book, and she's like, I'm glad you made that example your father yeah. and not me. Um, well, I want to go back to the thread where we were speaking about... <clears throat> slowing down in order to speed up well actually there's something else i wanted to bring into and maybe this is helpful or applicable in your group but what we're doing both organizationally at every man but also at our retreats right now is clarifying roles and responsibilities with far more precision and accountability internally internally oh that's important 
super important. And in leading a men's group, so this is helpful, and this is something almost new, but so this weekend Brad and Owen were the leaders, right? I got to gracefully step back, which was great. It was hard first, then it was great. <laughs> and <laughs> um, so when those two guys are leading together, there can be a tenden- there can be a tendency to get loose and to get sort of they're both artists. Let's say that. They're both artists. Oh, in the way that they collaborate. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what we need is an artist and a producer mm. in that role. In the two in the drivers and the co pilot seat. We need somebody that pays attention to time, that keeps us accountable, and that holds things on track, that sets the things in motion you know, just you need does Aaron the Blaine, you need thing. you need Chris. Right? Exactly. And then the the artist in the condition doesn't have to worry about that and can be so fully, completely engrossed and present yeah. that things just flow. And so that's, you know, I mean, you could call that a lot of things. You could call that, you know, masculine, feminine balance. You could call that just yin and yang. You could do, you could call it anything you want to do. Sure. But the, the, the reality is that. They're the two hands of the potter's wheel is the analogy that I was. <laughs> Sweet. No, so yeah. it's actually like, really? the, the, well, have you, have you ever thrown, have you seen Ghost? Yeah, the movie? when I was 15 and, yeah. and like, I just went to that class because I didn't, I didn't really. I did, but I did But you've seen the scene from that. Ghost with Patrick Swayze. Of course, and the, yeah. yeah, of course. So it's like the inner hand of the pot pushes outward oh. and creates space. Yeah. And if that's the only hand, it flops out mm-hmm. and it turns into a, a plate. And if the outer hand is what like delimits the form, and if that's the only hand, it collapses inward into a ball. That's beautiful. I just had an inner vo- he- voice in my head just want to like, I guess I have an inner voice in my head that just wants to be kind of a um, contrarian dick. And I was like, well, what if you just want to play? <laughs> and that's fine. But that's cool. But that's, that's what, a but beautiful that's what, analogy. But, there's the, the, but the interplay, yeah. and, I've, and I was actually talking with, with David about this last night, of like watching Brad and Owen play together in helping somebody with a journey. It is interesting to see when like one of them sort of takes the, the reins mm-hmm. from the other. It's this very natural, organic moment because they've yeah. played together so many times. But I agree. It's not fun being the guy who's aware of time. and then Depends who you are. Because that's my natural place. Like, I love that. Like, and this, this weekend, when I was neither of those roles, I had a hard time at moments. I'm like, and this is, this is also sort of, this is strength weakness showing yeah. here. But um, I will get real uptight when, like, something's dragging on and we're, like, not, we're not holding true to the intention of yeah. what we did because we're engrossed in something. Makes me really uncomfortable, which in the men's group setting, going back to how long your second round yeah. is, super helpful to, I mean, you can play with it, right? There's, there's good, it doesn't have to be rigid, but some boundaries, some very clear accountable boundaries yeah. allows for getting right to that prioritized deep point. Yeah. And so right? in, in process-based facilitation which you know we do for men's men and their feelings and i do for teams and their goals and ideas and products i sometimes used to say that like i don't care if you're not done we had 30 minutes for this right and what you have is good enough and then what i'm teaching people is perfect is the enemy of done and you have to get comfortable with messy and, Mm -hmm. and maybe not great and when the process is good yeah whatever you do with it next and then the third thing you do with it there's still an alchemy and a magic 
And lo and behold, even though you didn't think we had enough uh, user insight research or the, you know, you didn't like every all the ideas on the importance difficulty matrix, we're going to still pick two from them and we're going to make some great stuff in it. And then they forget about everything else that happened before. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing with the men's group. It's like, yeah, you only had five minutes to check in. But everyone got to be heard. Yeah. And it's not about you speaking the group isn't just about you speaking and getting your feelings out. It's about connecting with everyone. We once had, oh God, this was very early on where it was, uh, it was election day, like it is today. And there was a guy who like hadn't voted. And he was like, I think I might leave early to vote. And we were like, oh, okay. And I don't think we, it really messed up the energy of the group. Oh yeah. That like, okay, I did my check-in and now like I'm going to take all the listening that you gave me and all the, the love that was received and and it sort of takes this whole piece uh, of the conversation out of the room interesting and so i feel like it's speaking and and listening are two sides of the mm. same coin like i think i could enjoy the men's group if i spoke if i said nothing and just tr spent the whole time trying to really feel everyone right so which is what you did basically i guess yeah so how in y in the in your framework and how you understand conversations how do you how would you describe that part of of that feeling conversation because there is there's a there's a mm. and i don't know exactly what level to name it at i don't know if it's um if it's our subconsciouses are having a conversation if our actual like our neurology is there are, i mean that it definitely is yeah. like a, if you have a conversation with yourself and they stick you in an mri it's just like you're talking to someone else really yeah 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 um and i think yeah, there's the, there's that classic story of like um, when two people are here, there's four conversations. There's like what I said, mm. what I meant to say, what I thought, what I intended to conv convey to you, mm. and what I thought you heard, and then like all of the same things on your side. That's really interesting. So do you feel like when you say that, what I feel is like, well... One of the, what we're intending to do in our groups then is to consolidate that into an actual more peer. Like there's only yeah. one conversation happening here and we're actually finding out that you're actually getting it that way. Does that, yeah. does that line up? Right. And that's bit? why active listening is so powerful yeah. as a tool. It's like, wait, well, I'm, what, what I heard you say is this. Is that right? Yeah. And then people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I, you know. But, um, you know, my, my, my ex-wife would actually hate it when I tried to use active listening. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> because even though like that's what we were supposed to do according yeah. to the relation the couples therapist, she's like, Are you trying to actively listen to me? And I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry for trying to diffuse this tense situation and like uh, do the things we agreed to do. Do the things we agreed to do. But nobody likes to feel manipulated because it doesn't feel invitational. So that's why you need to like mm. have these boundary rules and roles to say like, This is the container. Nobody leaves until we end the circle. Yeah. Right? Like we're here for all of like all the th all the things that are in the agreements create that space and i think the thing that i value about the everyman work is that it and this is why i'm like excited to talk to lucas and and Macambi about like this stuff is stuff i'm bringing to two companies yeah they need it bad yeah and they don't want to slow down <laughs> right because they want to sp they want to speed up they want f they want like results 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 right. and like they try to do everything in like it's so like two like can we do a two hour module on this you're like we can right it's not going to change anything you can pay me to do it mm -hmm. i will take your money <laughs> and i will tell you that it won't work 
mm-hmm. unless we do, you know. And this is why being in a men's group every week, I, you know, I can't, I would love to send a letter to myself from last year and tell him like, you're going to be in a group every week. Yeah. And I'd be like, whatever, I'm not committing to anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's interesting because the idea of slowing, like, I love just the simple analogy of like bike gears, right? Like the slowing down and you can hook into a deeper gear. It seems counter rational in a sense. It seems that we won't go as fast if my legs are pedaling slower. Yeah. But I feel like when you get the leverage of that, the deeper parts of ourselves that aren't accessed, I mean, it's not, you know, we're not making this up. Like the way that guys are able to um, step into jobs and careers they really wanted to get over the hump on relationships, to like do the stuff they have been, the voices in their head have been like chattering about for so long. Like it's very helpful and it it really is. And it's, um, and it's just it's just it's it's like it's unweaving it's like yeah. t- it's it's pulling at all the threads and seeing where they go and i think there's tremendous value in doing that and being held accountable to it and focusing on it it's mm-hmm. it's you can do it on your own it's totally. just hard yeah yeah i think that a conversation with yourself and at some point is less fun than a conversation with interesting humans <laughs> it, you do yes yes and i think um there was a quote about this. I can't remember, but the, the basically the idea is like what I found is, and this was in our interview too. I yeah. think every um, every effective person, I don't want to say leader, but like just person in the world at some point knows they have to take a step back. Mm. And so I think there you need to have the conversation with yourself, but there's also like you need to have s- the turn-taking in conversations is like a really um, powerful lever of transformation in conversations. But the flip side of speaking is listening, like taking mm-hmm. it. Tr- and I think we, I know I often think of like conversations as I'm talking, you're talking, I'm talking, you're talking. There's like, but it's actually like, I'm talking, you're listening, you're talking, I'm listening. Like yeah. I'm taking my turn to listen. But the flip side is like silence. Dude, there was totally there was this when I got into media, there was this thing that I'd never seen anywhere before in meetings in high powered meetings where one person would be talking and then another person would literally talk louder (laughs) and there would be this cross section of two people talking. You'd be like, wait, what? And then one would just speak louder to dominate and the other one would just shut up. I was like, holy shit, I've never seen that in my life. That's insane. That's horrible. I mean, That's the a- in on in on average, people take like what is it, six hundred milliseconds or something between turns, and it takes us like no, it's four hundred milliseconds, and it takes us like six hundred milliseconds to figure out what we're going to say. So that means that everybody is generally already thinking about how they're going to respond to something, of while they're uh, while the, we think the person is quote unquote winding down. And for me, as a design researcher, and I'm you've interviewed people like for your profession, yeah, you know that like taking one moment to say like thank you for sharing that or like yeah hey so like before i ask my next question i want to follow up on something like that that's what makes a really really intentional interview and i learned that in user research for Mm. product design stuff and i realized i had this moment where i was like i started asking my next question while the person i was talking to took a, a breath a breath and i couldn't stop myself like i'd already started saying something and i was like hey what were you about to say and they're like oh i don't remember now yeah and this feeling of like wow i destroyed whatever it is 
that person was going to say. And maybe that's just because like my operating system is like I care about yeah. the fact that other people exist in the world versus that that executive who's like, I'm going to see how long I can maintain this terrible dissonance between me talking and this person talking before they give up. Totally. Like what a dick move. Two things come to mind. One, I think that our uh, chosen drug system is not helpful for listening. I don't think caffeine is a very uh, productive listener juice. <laughs> <laughs> listener juice? I mean, the green tea, I feel like, is done okay. But Better. It's gentle. Yeah. Um, but I wonder what sort of... Uh, what I wonder what would the supplement be? What would the chemical supplement be for slower, um, other than opium? <laughs> <laughs> And, and I'm not pot either. I wonder if there is something that I mean. Could you imagine a a culture that values the slowing down in order to be more effective? I of could silence. imagine this. I mean, silence is the drug. Yeah. I mean, and that's why I I, I feel like most of the people I talk to have some sort of internal practice. Yep. So this is between talking and listening is silence, and that's why mm-hmm. meditation or forest baths mm-hmm. or whatever. So like, you need to have your inner conversation, but you also need to like not have it. Mm. like and that is the hardest thing because i i I'm, janet has no training in meditation and when she sits down she's like this is just noisy and horrible in mm. here what do i do yeah. i'm like it, it gets better it does well and that was the second thing that came up was we were talking last night about chogim trunkpa rinpoche who was a tibetan uh, meditation teacher and uh there's you know a lot of mythology about him good bad ugly and pretty the whole the whole gamut but one one thing was that he was um, he was sort of the inception, or th- he propagated an immense amount of uh, stuff, like universities, like massive yeah. schools, like artistic endeavor, like just wildly produ- like in terms of human production, pretty pretty off the charts. Yeah. Specifically, what he would do would be sit in silence and sit in emptiness for most of the day, and people would come in to have brief conversations with him. Yeah. But because of that depth of emptiness and silence he had, what he said was incredibly, like, it was like, boom. Yeah. And it was something, a university would pop up. <laughs> yeah, you know. and you, but you're really intentional about making space for silence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super powerful. It's really hard to do because the world pulls at you all the time. Yeah. Emails. Well, back to sort of where we started here, what we're talking about the as a reader, but more specifically as a writer or a creative it's what I'm craving more than anything in my life right now is silence. Yeah, well, we have, by the way, we really talk much about writing. Like, I, I feel like it'd be interesting to talk about, like, yeah. what it's going to take to get you to write a book. <laughs> Dude, a, a committed time, that's it. I'm so ready. It's like, it's ready. I'm going to use a bad exa- analogy. And um, in the woods, when we lead wilderness trips, <laughs> specifically for young people who, who need some help in self-management, we have a, a poop scale. Basically, like a, a one is you don't have to poop, and a ten is you are pooping. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it doesn't go to eleven. <laughs> no, no, there's no. 11. That means it's, it's you're done pooping. squirting out of you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but you have to manage yourself in the woods because there's no bathrooms. Yeah. And there's a process you have. To, you have to like walk away. And you have to dig a hole. And you gotta do. It takes some time. So if you're at a nine, by the time you you start yeah. walking, you're in trouble. Yep. So you got it. You got to time this man you get a like seven and eight we've right? all been there i've been at a nine where i'm like where's the fucking can i like, get my pants down and fast enough 
but I feel like with the book, I'm at about an eight or close to a nine. Yeah. Like it's just, re- it's just time. It, there's nothing that I want more. I mean, that's not, I, I want to be careful with that statement in terms of creation and professional yeah, work yeah. right now. It's you want to see your children grow up healthy. That's, yeah. that's, that's yeah. 11. I feel like I, all I, w- if I don't write my, like if I'm not increasing my page count, mm. it just like, it, I, I, it itches at me and I, it drives me crazy. Yeah. And when I do it, I feel so good. Yeah. Because I'm organizing all of the ideas. Uh, the quote I used on Sunday was um, the quote from Maggie's Farm. I wake up in the morning, bow my head, and pray for rain. I got a head full of ideas, and they're driving me insane. <laughs> like, and you just got to, I got to fucking, yeah. I don't know if this book's going to be, I'm writing a book that I have no idea if it's going to be any good at all, but it's my book, and it's getting out of my head, and then once it's out, I can, like, relax. I can't wait to read it. That's, you're very kind. Con- well, I don't mean it from kindness. I actually mean it from um, from a place that I think is going to be very helpful. I, fi- I find your your um, your way, your style, your your work to be deeply um, bridging for me. It's very helpful. It's it's a great bridge from um, the sort of wild man feeling state that I can come from and practical yeah. um, sort of life integration and, and sort of the, the head and the heart in some sense like you know I think I said that I, I didn't really get to this in the mid but when I was talking about being a philosopher first getting to more of a place of integration with that and that yeah. involves reading and it involves writing yeah. and involves being intentional about design yeah so that's it's really I think you hold some magic um, specifically for me right now I'm gonna let that just go in this is <laughs> I'm gonna actually like <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how you how you feel when somebody says something nice, and you're like, no. But I appreciate so next that. next week in men's group, that your job is to have everybody praise you. <laughs> We're talking about doing the the that that piece where everyone mm. first does the like the with everyone the judgment get, and the judgment. The yeah, yeah, exactly. Such a powerful exercise. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be really interesting. Well, yeah. I so let's say this. Let's say let's do a podcast in a year. We'll both have a book out of us, and we'll see it. where they're at. And uh, that's, uh, you know, I think that's, it's cool because actually real quick, the coming back to New York this time, I've had these times in my life where I did write books and I was very creative and yeah. it's been, I've been reconnecting to those times in my life and, um, it's fun. It's yeah. a fun conversation to have. I, li- I like that conversation. I like to sit down with a computer or a notebook and it's blissful. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. When you when I started writing the book after I had written the proposal, it was excruciating because there's resistance. Like the yeah. like the guy who's like, I don't know if I want to yeah. blah, blah, blah. And you're like, but then when you just do it, yeah. it feels like just great. Yeah. Just uh, uh, elating. Um, well, amazing. What's, what's, uh, what's coming up for you? I know you're writing and you're, yeah. you're doing your work, but what's, what's the most, what would be the coolest thing to highlight to folks? What's I'm up really you? excited. Like I have been getting some traction. I've been teaching facilitation in a business context to people. And I, I, there's a, a, a woman who's the head of the sprint Academy mm. at Google and head of design relations who I had on my podcast. She's been hosting a couple of internal external conferences at Google. And she had me last year, this is the second year she's done it. And she had me, come and teach advanced facilitation, which is what we called it, to a whole bunch of sprint yeah. masters and a whole bunch of professionals. And it's been getting some traction. I'm going to do another workshop for 
for Google Sprint Masters in Stockholm in May. Cool, man. And it feels like a little like itch of legitimacy. Yeah. To be able to like not just to, to talk about the work that I'm doing with them and I'm I'm collaborating with some people I know from that community to do a couple more workshops while I'm in town. So I've been I've been running my own advanced facilitation workshop uh in San Francisco and New York, like kind of whenever I Yeah do or want to and yeah getting some help for some people to do it in London, maybe Amsterdam in May. And I'm going to be talking at a, at a, a facilitation conference in Austin and doing a workshop. It looks like as part of that. So it just feels like cool, man. Like it, it feels like getting invited to, to do more yeah. things and, and getting people together to, to talk about how we make decisions together and also to talk about how we as facilitators show up, and help people transform. What I found is that facilitators, everyone's sort of stolen bits and pieces patched together. Sure. Um, we getting being reflective, being a reflective practitioner about our approach to hosting and massaging groups and and helping them find a direction and pushing them. Like, it's really my passion because like, there's so much shit in the world. Yeah. And if people, my philosophy, my theory maybe is that like if we can actually have more people thoughtful about are we taking enough time for this decision? Yeah. Like how are we, are we making this good decision? Like how do we come together? Like more good stuff will be in the world and it's great to be connected to all these people who care about, who care about that. Um, and it's, I feel really lucky to get to do it. So that's the thing that's really, I'm like May is like looming yeah. and, and getting all those workshops out and hopefully filled with people is what I'm excited about. Amazing. Where can people find out more about that? Do you have a website? I do have a website. Um, the Conversation Factory, yep. um, uh, the master class when I teach it, there's a page there that, you know, people can sign up to find out about the next one and whatever other workshops I, I'll be doing in other places I'll put up, I'll put up there awesome. when they're real. Beautiful. Well, I wish we had. Uh, well, it's good. We'll, we'll stick to our time like a good round two. Like yeah. Good every man group should. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for hosting. Good to see you. Thank um, you for coming. This is really home. It feels nice here. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Bye. Bye.